Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Left side, Swanson to first. Braves and baseball talk, straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and after a brief hiatus, it's time to get back down to business because the world of baseball kept spinning, the Braves were making moves, and now a former Brave made a very big move with the Chicago Cubs. He, of course, is Dansby Swanson. We're going to talk about that. We'll talk about the Sean Murphy trade, and we'll get into what the Braves need to do from here with no more Dansby Swanson at shortstop. And there are a couple of question areas for the Braves, a couple of things that can tighten up before the team reports to spring training in February. Where do the Braves go from here? I'll welcome Corey McCartney into the show in just a moment, but as always, I want to remind you to subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you get your podcast. Also, if you would, be so nice as to leave us a rating. We'd appreciate that. Tell a friend if you enjoy what you hear on the show. You can also follow me on Twitter. I am at Grant McCauley. He is at Corey J. McCartney. You can find the show at From the Diamond with an underscore on the end. You can also find me on Instagram at Grant McCauley, the show at From the Diamond. And you can like the show on Facebook. Just search for From the Diamond there. Well, Corey, this is the story that we've been talking about all winter long. It was what's going to happen at shortstop, most specifically what's going to happen with the incumbent shortstop for the Atlanta Braves for the past six, seven years, and that, of course, is Dansby Swanson. We have now found out the answer to that question, and it is not re-signing with the Atlanta Braves. He became the fourth major shortstop to sign with a new club when he agreed to a seven-year, $177 million contract with the Chicago Cubs. That according to multiple reports, including Jeff Passan. So once it gets to that point, Corey, we pretty much know where it's landed. And even though Dansby may not be around to make a big announcement just yet, the Cubs haven't held the press conference. The Braves are certainly in the hunt for a new shortstop, and we'll get into all of that. But you know, the deal itself, I think, was above and beyond anything the Braves were ever going to spend at shortstop over $25 million a season, and an even higher total than Freddie Freeman got in free agency a year ago. Corey, let's start unpacking all of this. I know Braves fans have had, what, 72 hours or more now to kind of come to grips with it, but, you know, the stages of grief. It takes a a different amount of time for people to go through all of those when it comes to a big change for your favorite ball club and the second fan favorite in as many years leaving via free agency. That would qualify as a big change. Yeah, and I think that's the big thing too, right? Is that you just went through all those ranges of emotions a year ago and watching Freddie Freeman. And I guess the difference there is that Matt Olson was already acquired and then Freddie Freeman yep. left. So you knew the writing was yep. on the wall at that point. But, um, you know, certainly this doesn't make it any better. And it's just so wild to think about, you know, the total dollars that are going to Dansby Swanson. And you mentioned what Freddie Freeman got a year ago. And certainly no one would have anticipated that Swanson was going to end up getting a contract that was a bigger in totality than what Freeman got. But certainly he was, you know, a byproduct of the market. And he was a byproduct of those other shortstops in yep. this class that went with him. Because if this is a year ago and he's out there with Javier Baez and he's out there with Trevor Story and obviously Carlos Correa was also in that mix as well. But we're talking about a very different dollar amount for Dansby mm-hmm. Swanson. I mean, look, the Braves went to him with an approximate $100 million deal. He comes back in 140 and then the Cubs go $77 million ahead of what the Braves were willing to give this guy. 
I mean, I think it, it, it obviously a lot of it had to do with the deals that were in place yep. around him with those other three free agent shortstops. But, you know, it's it's just a dollar amount that I would never have figured that was going to be coming Dansby Swanson's way. No, I didn't. And let me just say, as far as Dansby the person, because at the end of the day, I mean, these are players and they are commodities for these teams and they are signed to do a job and they can make a great amount of money. But, you know, from a personal standpoint, you have to understand this is part of that business. And, you know, a $100 million contract is nothing to sneeze at, nothing to just look at and say, yeah, that's just not doing it for me. But when another club comes along and offers something so substantially more, and that is what free agency can create is that kind of scenario. These are the kind of things that can happen no matter what that player might have wanted when free agency started or in the years leading up to free agency, because I do believe that Dansby Swanson, all things considered, he looks at himself as an Atlanta Brave, but things have changed much like they changed for Freddie Freeman, though these circumstances feel altogether different just based on, as you pointed out, a trade had not happened beforehand. It didn't seem to be quite as bitter a breakup, at least in the immediate reaction as the Freeman one was. And I don't guess there's any reason to really rehash all of that. But I looked at the shortstop market, and I know a lot of people have done the math on this, but we're talking about a billion dollars worth of money that went to these four players altogether. You got 11-year contracts being handed out to, what, three of them. And then you have Dansby getting seven years, which I don't know that I didn't expect him to get a seven-year offer somewhere, perhaps even maybe with options that might have included him staying in Atlanta. But you know, the 25 to $27 million a year, that felt like more than the Braves were going to offer in the average annual value. But yeah, looking at this market, and, and you pointed it out already, the shortstop market a year ago, outside of Corey Seager, did not really solidify for the other guys who were out there. Not that Baez and Story didn't do pretty well for themselves, but I thought at the highest level, you know, after Dansby Swanson's career year, 6-140, and not a crazy ask. And I don't blame Dansby's camp for asking for that for him either, just based on the previous deals of a winner ago. But I don't think anybody could have looked at the shortstop market and expected both the years and the dollars to get as crazy as they got for three, now four, of these shortstops. Yeah, I mean, we got away from that for a time period, right? Like everyone kind of goes back to that Albert Pujols deal and says, okay, no one's handing out these long-term contracts like this anymore. And I right. think we got to the point where, you know, the the economics of it said, guys, you know, never the, the, the money's never going to be better than it is today. You can't look at, you know, what's happening with inflation and expect 10 years from now that you're going to be able to get a, a player at the same value that you can get them at now. And yeah. I think we're seeing that play out within these contracts and, you know, I mean, I, I just look at this in so many different ways from Swanson, and he was the one. Uh, the other guys all had at least six years of above average, above league average production in yeah. terms of way to run creative plus. Dansby Swanson had one within 162 game season, so you can look at it from the Braves standpoint and say, "Look, we put X amount of value on this player." Yeah, but the the market can put a completely different value on him, and it's interesting that all four of these guys change teams. So all four of these clubs obviously had what they felt was the value of that player. And I'm sure there were negotiations with all four of them that happened before they ever hit the free agent market. None of them could get done. Then they go out in the market and it completely changes both the, you know, the AAVs, the, the, uh, the total amounts per year, the total um, uh, value in, in dollars of these yeah. contracts just blew everything out of the water that anyone had anticipated. Uh, look, we've had, there's been thir uh, 21 contracts in major league history that have been over uh, double digit years 13 of them have been signed within the last uh, since 2019 wow it's it's mind boggling and yeah. the, the fact that you had so many of them happen this year with the, this uh, obviously Dansby didn't get that one but that sets the parameters 
for what the Braves and ultimately what the Cubs were looking at when dealing with him at shortstop. Right. That's economics of it. That is the market that Dansby Swanson was out there in. And you mentioned, you know, four shortstops changing teams. So you're getting four new clubs. They have previously teams that probably had some kind of conversation about retaining these shortstops, one would imagine, and I'm sure they did. And then you get into the market, and there's other clubs that tried to get involved and did not land some of these shortstops. So the market was pretty rich, and I find it fascinating because these are four compelling shortstops and stars to different degrees. Clearly, you had Correa kind of setting the bar, Turner not far behind him. Xander Bogarts did better than I thought he could possibly do, and he went to a team I didn't expect him to sign with. And then you knew Dansby Swanson was going to find a deal, I felt like, somewhere, whether it was in Atlanta for six, seven years or somewhere else. I I just felt like that was an eventuality. Didn't know if the Braves would cave on their valuation in both years and dollars. Doesn't seem like a thing they're going to do with free agents, and that is a discussion that we can have maybe a little bit later on. But it, it is just really fascinating to look at the entire shortstop market and what it evolved into and to think about the backdrop of a year ago when there was a lockout going on at this time, and it felt like you had all these owners out there saying, oh, these big contracts, these big payrolls, they're just not good for the game, it's not sustainable, we can't do this. And now you've got them throwing around money like crazy because at the end of the day, they're running a business which says for most of the teams and some of them, and I'll leave this to the side, don't do a very good job of it. But the onus is on them to win and try to get into the postseason and win a World Series. And clubs are pretty serious about paying for talent to do that. So I find it really interesting that basically a year after the players were told, look, you're you're all basically too expensive for us right now. We're seeing these kind of contracts, especially the double digit years kind of coming back into vogue or continuing to be a big part of how teams are spending. Yeah. And they were told they were too old, right? We were everything with last year, the conversations were like, look, teams are putting all their investment on guys who are on those club control years. They're moving guys up faster than ever. Guys are becoming superstars and, you know, all stars, all that stuff in this league younger than ever. And then you've got a contract for Trey Turner that's going to run out when he's 40 years old. Xander Bogarts, Carlos Correa, both going to be 41 years old when their contract runs out. Now, who's to say that they, they actually are going to get to the ends of those deals. But certainly, you know, when you stretch across the AAV and what you're able to put into the competitive balance tax uh, dollars each year for a club, they're obviously stretching it out. And that's a, a, a byproduct of all this. You're not expecting Turner, Bogarts, and Correa to be you know, viable major league players when they're 40 and 41 years old. You're stretching across what you're hit in terms of you know the, the, the luxury tax uh, penalties are going to be potentially and how that whole thing factors in. But it's just it's just crazy to me that those are that changing conversation. A year ago, everyone was going to get paid when they were younger. Yep. And now we're talking about guys, you know, well beyond what we expect for a prime of a major league baseball player. No, we really are. And, and as much as it would be, you know, appropriate to spend even more time on this episode talking about how insane the shortstop market was and just focusing in on that for a while, because I think that there's a lot to pick through. And I think that we've done a pretty good job of it so far. For the Braves, there's a lot to focus on with the departure of Dansby Swanson, the pending departure of him, because his legacy is part of this recent run of success and a World Series title that the Braves had. So I think he's going to be remembered, by and large, very fondly by Braves fans. But I can't imagine, as I said earlier, that you could begrudge him for looking at a $77 million offer above what he was getting from the Braves, at least from what was reported and what we know, whether Atlanta ever came back and up to that offer. I'm sure we'll find out about all the different parts of this negotiation at some point. But you had to understand that was too much money to leave on the table, I think, for any person who puts himself in those shoes. But as you do look at Dansby Swanson's legacy with the Braves, I feel like he's just such a fascinating character, if you will, from the time that he was acquired in one of the craziest trades that you or I ever saw. 
and kind of is the crown jewel, if you will, of Atlanta's hopes and the rebuild that began after the 2014 season and somehow magically concluded in 2018 when the Braves were once again beginning their run of National League East titles and culminating in a World Series in 2021. Dansby Swanson was a part of an awful lot of good things for the Braves in his tenure here at shortstop. It's going to leave some big shoes to fill, much in the way that Freddie Freeman did as well. Freeman may have had the bigger numbers, the MVP awards, and all of those things. I understand that. But, you know, this is once again, for the second consecutive year, a big piece of this team that is moving on. So it's understandable that you take a moment to kind of look at the legacy of the player as well as you start to ask yourself the question of, hey, who's playing shortstop for the Braves in 2023 and beyond? Yeah, and I think you can look at Swanson's career trajectory in Atlanta and say that he delivered. I mean, the guy showed sure. up with obviously, you know, re- unrealistic expectations as a former number one pick coming back home. You know, we've talked about, you know, the son of Baconator and all that fun stuff when he made his drive over to Turner Field mm-hmm. uh, for his debut. There were digital billboards around the city. There was all this hype around him. You know, and it took four years before he really was able to deliver that, you know, yeah. I mean, it, it took time for him to develop, and I think you, you obviously saw the leader in him grow. You saw, you know, obviously a, a year in his final one in Atlanta where he becomes a first-time All-Star, first-time Gold Glove winner, part of a World Series championship. So I think from every measure of it, he delivered on the expectations. Is just, unfortunately, the career doesn't look like it's going to end in a Braves uniform. No, it, it doesn't. And the other things that I look at with Dansby Swanson and the time that he was acquired, and it does seem weird, you know, like how quickly. I mean, when you think back on it, you know, 2015 was a long time ago. I mean, we were just talking about, I think you and I, you know, seven years ago that the Braves pulled off that trade. And they were very proud of that trade as well to get yeah. Dansby Swanson, a number one overall draft pick, traded, what, six months after he was taken by the Arizona Diamondbacks. I mean, that kind of thing's unheard of. And then it just it kind of underscored what the Braves were doing at that time because think about all the prospects they were busy stockpiling and drafting and developing themselves. And then you start to look around the diamond and see how the Braves were built with 2018 being the first year of this run of National League East titles and of success and getting out of that rebuild after three consecutive 90-loss seasons. But you looked everywhere homegrown third baseman, homegrown shortstop, homegrown second baseman, homegrown outfielders. And you had a homegrown first baseman for quite a while of that too. You go out and get another guy. Oh, by the way, he's from Atlanta, so that probably doesn't hurt. You are able to develop some starting pitchers. You're able to develop some relievers. Everywhere you looked, in every position group, the Braves had drafted, traded for, or developed a young player that stepped in. And then they've been supplementing with free agents. And that has just not really been there. They're not spending like some of these other clubs that need to go out and drop a million on multiple different positions. The Braves have built this sustainable winner, but it also kind of dovetails into the new conversation that we've heard a lot this winter. And with the departure of Dansby Swanson, I guess maybe serving as the backdrop of this, and I want to get to where they're going to turn a shortstop in a moment, but bigger picture, it seems like right now the Braves are poised to go over the luxury tax for the first time. You and I have talked about the trajectory of this payroll going to heights that had not been seen before. Certainly, when you looked at Liberty Media's ownership of the Braves, things have changed drastically, particularly since they've moved into Truist Park with the amount of payroll that's being put into this club. You know, one more big move, one more significant move seems to be the thing that will push the Braves over that threshold. I'm wondering what it would be at this point, and if indeed it's going to happen this winter, Corey, where do you weigh in on all that? 
I think you've got to do something, right? I mean, I, and we'll get into, you know, the Vaughn Grissom and Orlando RC and what happens at shortstop uh, in a minute here. But I think there's got to be one more maneuver. And whether that maneuver is that you're bringing in somebody else uh, in left field, we know they obviously brought in, you know, uh, Luplo here in the last 24 hours as a supplement potentially with Eddie Rosario. I just think that there's got to be one more maneuver uh, for this team uh, offensively. And it, yeah. uh, whether or not you that's part of the process is you're bringing in somebody and you're going to have to end up eating that uh, money that goes to Marcelo Zuna or you're going to be actually, you know, adding to this payroll with another, you know, viable player. There's got to be one more move, I think, within this team. And whether that's via trade, whether uh, there's just not a lot, unless it's yeah. going to be Michael Conforto, I don't really know what else out is left out there on the market. And Conforto comes with all kinds of question marks after missing an entire season and having a down 2021 the last time that he was actually yeah. on the field. So I think there's got to be something else left in here. But it's like, what, less than $7 million they are right now from hitting that first. Uh, uh, luxury tax threshold. Right. And and look, the Braves have not said that they won't go over the luxury tax yeah. threshold. But from what I gathered from Alex Anthopoulos, the quote that stuck out to me was, we'll do it for the right player. Now, that doesn't mean that you drastically overpay for a player, and let's say Dansby Swanson in this case, that you have valued at a certain level. If you had to come up some, I think that the Braves offer could have come up. But again, to go back to where we started with this conversation, I don't think there's any world in the Braves multiverse where they're going to pay nearly $180 million to Dansby Swanson over seven years. But for Dansby Swanson, the player, the person, I'm happy that he got that deal. It just, that was not going to be in the cards. I think with what the Braves were going to do and with their payroll and what they are trying to do overall. So it kind of, it brings up that point. And a lot of people are asking this and for good reason, because that top five payroll discussion has really made headlines this winter. You and I have talked about it for quite a while. The thing that I think gets lost in the excitement about that possibility, that very real possibility of it happening is the Braves never said that it was going to happen overnight or in one offseason in one fell swoop with one giant move. Now, I'll stipulate it's hard to ask fans to get excited and also be patient at the same time as it is. But you throw in another fan-favorite player signing somewhere else in free agency and a lot of other big deals being handed out throughout the course of the winter as well, players that you would love to see wearing a Braves uniform if you're a fan. You kind of perceive what's going on is, you know, we're going to spend, but not yet or not on him. And when him is Freddie Freeman last year or him is Dansby Swanson this year, it's going to make people wonder when and who is this team going to spend on? I will say this, though. I think you have to also look at these and not to rehash too much with, you know, with first with Freeman and now into the Swanson stuff. But I think you have to understand that those two cases, if they had both been a year previous, I don't think either one of those guys is leaving Atlanta. I agree. I think if Freeman happens and it's a normal offseason, he's still here. If Dansby's not dealing with those other free agent shortstops, he's still here. It just got to a, a point where you, again, you put value on the player, you put value on the, you know, what you're willing to spend on these guys. And other teams come in and completely change the approach and what you're willing mm -hmm. to do and what they're, yeah, it just, there was just so much other stuff at play here. And the Braves, this is because they're not spending now, doesn't mean they're not going to acquire somebody before opening day, right. during the season, that ends up pushing this thing over the top. So just don't anticipate just because they're not over the luxury tax threshold on opening day doesn't mean it's not going to happen before the season's over. Right. I think that's probably the thing that I would hit on the most is that, again, and, and I understand, like it's hard to ask fans to be patient, 
with the excitement that goes with watching the hot stove and the free agents are signing big contracts elsewhere. Your rivals in your division are becoming, you know, at least as good as they were last year, if not better in some cases. We're going to find out because the game is not played on paper. And last I checked, you know, winning the winter does not guarantee that you're going to win the following fall and be the last team standing in Major League Baseball. And we've got buku examples of that, of clubs that have spent a ton of money in an offseason and then really not been able to turn it into a sustainable winner. Now, that is not a reason for the Braves not to spend money in free agency, nor do I think that that is the reason that they're not currently spending buku amount of money in free agency this winter. But beyond the Swanson saga, we saw the Braves make a major trade this past week as well. So you know that roster construction is something that Alex Anthopoulos and his crew are always working on. I think I've described it as that, you know, the table in Game of Thrones that's at Dragonstone, that it's carved into that table and it's got all of Westeros out in front of it. And it just seems like that's how they're planning their maneuvers from all over the seven kingdoms there. That is how I imagine the table that's spread out in front of Alex Anthopoulos for the different things that the Braves are trying to do on their roster. Because it's never one thing. It's never, well, we're singularly focused on shortstop. And unless or until we figure out shortstop, all of our other offseason needs are not going to be met. That couldn't be further from the truth. He will go after different things at different times when the deal is right and when the time is right. And apparently, it was right for the Braves to go out and pick up catcher Sean Murphy in a three-team, nine-player deal with the A's and the Brewers. Now, Corey, we had heard some rumblings, uh, I believe, from Mark Feinsand about the possibility that the Braves were in on Sean Murphy. But it kind of got chalked up to, well, we check in on a lot of players. Alex Anthopoulos always says that, and they did check in on Sean Murphy, and why wouldn't you? He's probably one of the two or three best catchers in baseball, if not definitely in the top five. And now we see that trade happen, but it's at a position in which neither you nor I thought that the Braves were in drastic need of reshaping. They've got Travis Darno, they've got William Contreras, they have Manny Pena coming back. Did they need Sean Murphy? Well, the answer was yes. And two of those catchers got traded away. Pena goes to the A's. William Contreras, the most surprising part of this, goes to the Brewers, and we can break that down a little bit later. Sean Murphy comes over to the Braves. A handful of pitching prospects headlined really by Kyle Muller and Freddie Tarnick head out to the Oakland Athletics. Everybody kind of knows the deals and the pieces now. I'm just trying to get caught up because I've been out of town. But no one thought that the Braves were needing a catcher this winter, I guess is what I want to get back to here. You parted with six players to make this thing happen. And I do have to say, you know, the Braves got the best player in this trade, and they will have Sean Murphy for the next three years. But now I kind of wonder what other trade chips do they have if they want to go out and make a bigger deal to, say, address the shortstop situation. And are there enough pieces left to acquire another player in a big deal like this? This was just not a deal that I necessarily expected. It makes the Braves better. Don't get me wrong, but this was just maybe the pun out of left field might not be well-timed here because left field was one of the question marks for the Braves. So the night of the deal, uh, Alex Anthopoulos was talking about, you know, kind of how, how this whole thing came together. And he almost made it sound as if it was like inception, right? Like that Mark <laughs> Feinstein had placed this inside of his head and then they go through winter meetings. And okay. then by the time he gets back home that weekend, it's like, oh yeah, Sean Murphy. And then they start making the moves there and he starts checking in on Perfect. Sean Murphy. And next thing you know, by the time the weekend's over with the trades consummated and we're talking about okay. it that following Monday. So it kind of felt like that maybe Feinstein had a little bit of a play in this whole deal, but Clearly, nobody thought they were really going to go out and, and make a maneuver for a catcher. And why would you with, right. you know, with an all-star yeah. and, a, and a young, you know, controllable all-star that, you know, maybe you're not 100% sold on defensively. But showed a but, lot of promise. Yeah, but Anthopoulos broke it down like this. He said, you had a premium defender at a premium defensive position and one that we put a ton of stock into. And I think, too, when you think about those changes that are coming within the rules where the run game could be elevated this year, you know, you're going to have a lot more uh, put on a catcher, I think, than, than previously. And if they didn't feel like, you know, they felt that 
Contreras was really ready. Uh, this was a, a move that they felt like they was ready in time to make a maneuver like this. But also, there's the the added piece of this that you've got Darno with a club option after this coming year. Yeah. So now, do you even? I mean, is I'm not saying you know that Darno's movable and Dar and Anthopoulos said you know he was clear. He talked to, to Darno before the deal was made to make sure that he realized you know that he's part of their plans for 2023. There's going to be plenty of abs to go around. Yeah. You know, you got to wonder if you're going to see Travis Darno in a Braves uniform in 2024 when you've got a guy, you know, in Sean Murphy that wants to be out there if he can, 162 games catching. Um, but again, they found a premium guy, a premium defensive position, a guy that I know a lot of baseball hasn't seen, but this guy is spectacular. And this, you can look at all the years that the Braves have had these great catching combos, and you go back to the beginning of 2017. And only the Dodgers and the Phillies are the only two teams that have yeah. a combined better uh, uh, catching war than the Braves. This may be the best combination that they have had in any of those seasons coming in this year with Murphy and Darnell. Yeah, I mean, and that's really saying something because while you didn't always have like the one figurehead, oh, the Braves have the best catcher in baseball, you start looking at those numbers, and we talked about it a lot this past season offensively speaking, and the way that they were handling the staff. I know that it may not have necessarily been off the charts analytically speaking, but they were getting the most, I felt like, out of that catcher's position by and large. I mean, production that 25 to 27 other clubs would love to be able to boast that they were getting from behind the plate, particularly last year. Now, William Contreras is a big part of that with what he did offensively because I think that even the most optimistic fan of Contreras and, and the ho most optimistic hopes of him being a contributor – he blew that out of the water with that all-star season. I was surprised to see him go in this deal. It enticed the Brewers to come in and kind of be the club that helped get this deal done by sending a prospect and a story Ruiz over to the athletics, somebody that they really coveted, somebody with a ton of speed and versatility. And I, I, I get it, but I was just surprised that the Brewers kind of walked in and it was almost like they just happened into a flash sale and were able to make a nice little acquisition for themselves without really having to get a ton of skin in the game. But as you and I both know, grading trades in the 24 to 48 hours or the week after or before anybody's played a game for their new club is probably not the best way to have things age well. But, you know, that aside, yeah. it was a surprising move for me overall. I was not expecting William Contreras to be dealt in this offseason because I did think he could help out at the DH spot because the Braves, I felt, would have some at-bats to go around. And they do have some particular question marks that we now need to get into and talk about when it does come to DH and left field and now, of course, shortstop. Because in-house, you've got Vaughn Grissom, yes, and he's a talented young player, and he showed some flashes in 2022 that should have people excited about him being a part of the future. But there were questions about in the minors, is shortstop going to be his position? He's super athletic. He could probably play somewhere else. The bat's going to be what carries him, and that may all be true, but he is going out this winter to work on his defense, as any young player should and can benefit from uh, the tutelage of Ron Washington. But is he going to be able to take the money ball style crash course in becoming a premium defensive major league shortstop with Ron Washington to one winner and allay all of the fears that people have about watching your incumbent shortstop who just won a gold glove and had a career year walk out the door and sign somewhere else? I think we all have questions about that. Orlando Arce is also on this club. There's a light free agent market out there, but short-term candidates are available. I've been saying if you don't sign Dansby Swanson, maybe that's where you make a trade. Then the Sean Murphy trade happens. A lot of pieces are, are in play here. So if this is inception, uh, Corey, I'm hoping that Alex Anthopoulos has got a really tight grip on his totem because he is going layer yeah. after layer after layer. And when the kick comes, I'm hoping he's going to be able to get back out to the top and escape this thing.
So going back to the Murphy deal that night, Anthopoulos was asked for an update on the shortstop position. And he talked about, you know, the work that Grissom's doing with Ron Washington out in New Orleans. And he said that Wash was raving about uh, what Grissom's been able to do. And he said he's never, you know, really wanted to hear Washington raving about a player like that. And I don't want to say that that was, you know, lip service, but certainly there are a lot of people that question about the arm being able to play at shortstop. Um, I've mentioned this to you before. When you look at that, you know, the metrics and the arm strength on yep. cast, averaging 77.2 miles an hour from second base on those throws, which was 56th among shorts, uh, second, second baseman, excuse me, last year. You move that over to shortstop, and that's next to last among qualified players, so 50th. Uh, among shortstops, it's one that Von Grissom would have found himself uh, last year with that average uh, delivery uh, mile per hour wise. So, in, in the ultimate zone rating, doesn't really scream everyday shortstop either. It was in the negatives. You know, I don't know that this is going to be the guy that's going to be their opening day shortstop. Obviously, we know that there's the the hope that he's going to be able to show what he did offensively during spurts last year, but there's going to be growing pains defensively with him. So do you have to go and out and get somebody else? I mean, there are guys in the trade market, but if they go veterans out there, I mean, who's left? Elvis Andrews, yep. Jose Iglesias. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just not a lot of guys that you really look at that can really make a major impact unless you're looking at him at stop gaps. And then when you hit that, trade market let's say the brewers i mean you've got willie adamas like if you would have been able to make that maneuver and add him into the deal what more would it have cost you how much more do they have left after moving their you know who was their number one prospect and kyle muller mm-hmm. tarnock who was sixth now you've got you know jared schuster moves up to number one this farm system is not what it was a year ago two years ago three years ago so what how much prospect capital do you still have to go out and fill something like this via trade while it's not what it was, I think we got a lesson in 2022 that it can still produce players that are useful to the big league roster because Michael Harris and Spencer Strider, while people thought a lot of their talents, they were able to come up and, and really outplay even the most optimistic appraisal or, or expectation that either of those guys were even, maybe even going to see regular time in 2022 at the big league level. And for Strider, maybe he was going to be spending some time in the bullpen and not even get the opportunity to start because that's how it looked. And then, of course, some things changed when those two guys became regulars in center field for Harris and in the rotation for Strider. Now, this is not to say that every year the Braves are going to be able to count on two guys coming up and finishing a 1-2 in Rookie of the Year. I think we know that that is typically not the case. I just have to go back to the fact that the Braves and the way Alex Anthopoulos does look at his things in totality for the winter, I'm sure he can size up there are still things left to accomplish. We can look at it from the outside and see the shortstop market as free agents, as you just laid out, and kind of wonder, does this mean that maybe clubs that missed out on some of the other shortstops might be enticed to give Elvis Andrews two or three years or give Jose Iglesias two or three years, whereas Atlanta would like to have him maybe for one year or one year in an option while Vaughn Grissom figures some things out in AAA? This may change some of those options as well. And then you go back to the Brewers and Adamas, because I know that was a popular name that was getting thrown around a lot. I don't know that Milwaukee has necessarily looked at and said, we're going to start selling off major pieces. If anything, they just added William Contreras to a club that for the most of last year and still has great starting pitching, has the opportunity to compete in that division. Maybe they weren't enticed to trade their shortstop after all, and that seemed to be a prevailing thought coming from the Milwaukee side of things. So I hate even bringing this up, but again off that – Murphy trade, it was kind of just casually thrown into a conversation on MLB Network by Jim Callis that don't be surprised if the if don't be shocked if we see a Max Freed trade this offseason. And I only bring that up 
because do the Braves then have to go look and say, look, if we're gonna if we're gonna meet this need that we have at a, at a, a important position like shortstop, do we have to move a major league piece for a major league piece as opposed to going into the depths of our farm system? And you know, what does that do to the you know your ability to win during this time period where you are a you know World Series contender? I, I don't know what the answer is here. If it's if it's rolling with Grissom, seeing what you have, and then addressing it down the line because you don't want le- you don't like what's out there, you know, left in the free agent market, and you don't want to you know sell the farm. I guess for lack of a better term, to go out and get you know anybody to play shortstop that can do it, you know, at above average league level. I I mean, just I don't know if you can do anything else without making your team hurt in a way that you're not ready for it to happen. Yeah, I feel like, you know, you would have had to address starting pitching in a different way this offseason if you're going to trade a Max Freed. And I was surprised to hear that thrown out there. I didn't really give it a lot of you know credence because, again, and we've talked about this before, if you sit down at a table with all the people that are trying to come up with the best ideas for your club and you have one of those brainstorming sessions where we say, all right, throw everything out there, no bad ideas, just what's everybody thinking? Because maybe that conversation sparks some other idea and some other thing that's more realistic actually ends up happening. Anybody could be traded. I think that's pretty obvious. The Braves don't give out no trade clauses. That's another thing. If you're ten and five, that's how you get a no trade clause with the Braves, or you join the club and you already have one in a previously existing contract. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you anybody won't be traded, but there are some pretty good candidates of guys that shouldn't be moving. And I would think Max Fried would be near the top of that list, particularly for what he means to the Braves pitching staff when you can't go out and just sign Carlos Rodon, not available. Jacob Degrom, not available. Justin Verlander, not available. And, of course, there are many others. And then how in the world would you address that? Would you go out and make a trade? And the Braves have shown, and I know this, over the past few seasons that their starting rotation has its depth tested more than a few times, and it happened at the worst possible time in 2022 because it happened in October when Max Reed was sick as a dog, Spencer Strider was injured, and Charlie Morton was not himself and got hit by a line drive for the second consecutive postseason. I'm just not sure you want to invite that kind of volatility and that kind of question mark into the equation if you're a club like the Braves that just won 101 games, won a World Series not long ago, and is looking to continue the winning it's been doing for five years. The only thing I will say, though, is if you feel like you can't resign him and you feel like it's just going to be an m- amount of dollars that you can't match what's going to be out there when you're talking about an ace-level starter on the free agent market, and we saw this with Rodon, we saw this with Justin Verlander, we yeah. saw what te- and DeGrom, what teams are willing to pay for these kind of pitchers. If you think you're in that kind of a situation, then maybe it's something that you consider. But I just don't see how it fits into the equation for being a team contending for a World Series championship in 2023. No, you talk about sending mixed messages. I, I feel like that's one of them because, I mean, you would have to make the other moves that would go along with that. There would be several dominoes that would have to fall there. Yeah. And I just don't see those pieces out on the board. And, you know, even if you're an executive who has been as savvy as Alex Anthopoulos has been on the trade market of making this club better, that just doesn't feel like a move right now. Now, could this be a conversation we have next winter if Max Fried is a year away from free agency and it doesn't look like the Braves could sign him? Yeah, I think that it could be, but I just don't feel like that's something that they're looking to do right now. That kind of deal aside, and the other pieces that the Braves do need to address or do need to find before the team reports to Northport for spring training in 2023, the Braves are still making moves to add to the 40-man roster, and Alex Anthopoulos was added again to start this week. The Braves made what I would call a minor signing, adding a depth option for them, perhaps a platoon player in outfielder Jordan Luplo, a one-year, 
$1.4 million deal. This is a 29-year-old outfielder, as I mentioned. He was with the Arizona Diamondbacks a year ago. Corey, good arm, good defense, and some speed and power uh, from the right-hand side, which I feel like are all things that can help make your club a little bit better rounded. He's had some off years offensively the last couple of years, but this just feels like one of those guys that you bring in and see if you can buy low and add a little bit of that upside to your roster. But this doesn't feel like the answer to any of the questions that the Braves are still facing as they look to create the starting nine that we expect to see on opening day. This just feels like they brought in another Robbie Grossman, right? I mean, Basically. career 125, weighted run create a plus against lefties, 76 against righties. So you just pair him and Eddie Rosario potentially in that platoon. And I think a lot of the prism, I think, that I'm looking through the Braves offensively going into 2023 – is really hoping for a lot of bounce back years, right? You're hoping for bounce back years from Ronald Cunha Jr. Yep. You're hoping for a bounce back from Ozzy Aldis, yep. and you're hoping for a bounce back from Eddie Rosario because if you can get anything close to what you had from Eddie Rosario before, with what was really again another guy who had a lost season in 2022, maybe you didn't need to go out and make a really big splashy move in left field. And if you can just pair him enough with somebody where you can give him some days off and where he doesn't have to hit a lot against lefties. Maybe you become, maybe you have something viable uh, in left field. Now, it's not the answer I think that any of us were anticipating that they would go out and and try to you know to bring in be it through trade or free agency. But right. as it stands right now, if you're not going to bring Adam Duvall back, and this is the the route that you're going to take, and you're just trying to pair somebody up with with uh, Rosario, I, I mean, this is probably the the right maneuver. Getting a guy that you're getting on the cheap and you're getting on a one year deal. Yeah, and I don't think you're going to get Adam Duvall to come back at one and a half million dollars either, no. or on a split contract where he's going to agree to go to Gwinnett or things of that nature. And I, I don't know that that is necessarily something that you could expect Luplo if he doesn't make the team to forego opportunities anywhere else and go sit around at AAA Gwinnett and hope to jump back up at some kind of time to be determined. But this is also not a guy that I really expect to be one of the focal points of the 2023 Braves. This is just somebody that helps make that 26-man roster a little bit more well-rounded. And keep it in mind, Corey, that the last couple of years, the Braves had Guillermo Heredia around, and he wasn't exactly an offensive force, but he did bring things to the club that were, in fact, valuable and were measurable beyond just what his statistical addition to the club was on a given day. Yeah, I mean, you need pieces like that, right? Like, not everybody's going to be that guy that goes out there and is a game changer for you. And and I, I mean, it all goes back to that point for me that they need to know who's going to be able to bounce back and who can still, you know, live up to the expectations that they have for them. They're on the hook for, you know, at this point, a lot of money for Marcelo Zuna. And unless they're going to walk away from him, I just don't know that they're going to be in a position where you can go in and make a really big maneuver to try to trump things up, either be it DH or in left field. A little move like this and then hoping that you can get Rosario to be a, what he previous was and the, and the reason that you signed him uh, to a two-year contract anyway, I think is probably the right bet right now if you're not going to go splashy. You know what's interesting to me as well? I mean, we know that Marcelo Zuna's limitations in left field are they're no surprise to anybody. You're not looking, I don't think, to put him out there in left field. I was surprised Braves had him in left field as much as they did last year and some of that was because Eddie Rosario was out for a period of time however if you look at Luplo just in a vacuum and the fact that he has had success against lefties and then start looking at everybody else clearly Eddie Rosario being a left-handed hitter that could be an area of struggle for him but I think you pointed out just how bad Marcelo Zuna was against lefties last year that's something in this equation that if he is in fact some part of 
what the Braves are looking to do in left field or DH, which as of this moment, he is. He's got $37 million due to him. He did not do well against lefties at all in 2022. So you can't really pair him up with Eddie Rosario if he struggles worse against lefties, perhaps, than Eddie Rosario would if you just threw him out there to see what happens. Yeah, Marcella Azuna had a 41 way to run create a plus against Ooh. left-handers last year. He slashed 200 260, 237. So that is not, you're obviously no not looking at him to platoon with anybody uh, in that situation. And, uh, you know, Rosario was at 44 against lefties last year. So you just need somebody that in those situations you feel like can go up there, you know, and, and add some kind of a pop. They had a nice little thing going with Grossman last year. Uh, we'll see if they can get something similar coming with Jordan Luplo on this one year contract. Yeah, it would certainly be helpful. Now, the Braves, as we just pointed out, could use some extra power. Luplo doesn't feel like the move that is going to, assuage that need completely for the Braves and left field seems like a more likely place than shortstop to get it because we have talked about that free agent market and how thin it is now particularly with Dansby Swanson in agreement with the Cubs those two are the most unsettled areas right now same as it's been we also threw out some names throughout the course of the winter that we thought might be fits for the Braves on bounce back type contracts in particular J.D. Martinez he signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers. You thought Andrew Benintendi might be a nice fit for the Braves. Well, he signed a five-year deal with the Chicago White Sox over this past week. So the pieces are coming off the board as we approach the new year. And you know, once you get into 2023, that sense of urgency is only going to pick up for both clubs and for agents that are out there to figure out where they're going to be in 2023. But who's going to be out there that maybe the Braves could cash in on in the, hey, let's go ahead and get something done and figure out a place to have somebody playing in 2023, maybe use that sense of urgency to their benefit. But the market is shrinking, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, Matt Carpenter just signed a deal with the Padres yep. uh, for two years. So there's just, I mean, there David Peralta is still out there. He's 35 years old, though. You got Will Myers, who's 32. Uh, we mentioned Duvall. He's still there. Trey Mancini. Um, but there's a Jerkson Profar. I mean, that's a that would be an interesting guy, but he's probably looking at a you know a multi-year deal, two, three years uh, at this point. Yeah. So if you're not gonna go and be able to get somebody in a short term, which I think I go back to Conforto because I think Conforto is interesting because the word is, you know, he's obviously with Scott Boris, and the word is that he wants a multi-year deal, but he's also in a really good position to do to get one of those prove it contracts that we've seen the Braves have success with in the past. Now that obviously would push them well into the uh, right. above the luxury tax uh, situation. But is that a, a guy that you could put out there and say, you know, all right, this is this is potentially the answer to left field um, because you know you bring in Sam Hilliard along with uh, along with Jordan Luplo. I don't think either of those guys are, are you know game changers. But if you got that money that you're still due Ozuna and you believe that you can get something out of Rosario, those supplemental pieces could end up being uh, keys to the whole thing. But I would still love to see them go out and make a big move, get that Conforto, get somebody along those lines uh, that you know is going to be a potential game changer and somebody that you feel like if things don't get better in 23 with with Rosario and Ozuna, mm -hmm. that you have someone that you can rely upon, you know, or that could be in a position to really make an impact. Yeah, and then as you mentioned earlier, and with regard to the luxury tax, I mean, just because the Braves don't go over it over the course of the winter doesn't mean that they may not go over at some point with a trade to address that need but then you have the question of are you waiting too long to address it and now it's become a problem and now you're behind the eight ball and you know we saw last year I mean the Mets got out to a 10 and a half game lead in the division I don't necessarily expect that to happen every year 
they're still a very good team, and you also can't expect to make up that kind of ground every single year as well. So you'd like to go to battle with as many of the soldiers as you need from day one so that hopefully you don't find yourself in a hole looking up at a team 10 and a half games by the time you get to Memorial Day. Yeah, you can't bank on on that, especially you know with the way that the Mets are, are you know freewheeling and spending uh, with the intended purposes. They're they're finally going to run down the Braves into in twenty twenty three, and yeah. uh, I just don't know that you can say on December twentieth when we're recording this that this Braves team going into twenty twenty three is as good and as deep offensively as they were a year ago. Um, and that's even knowing that Ronald Cunha Jr. was coming off of an injury. I just, obviously that we haven't seen what Matt Olson's hundred percent capable of, you know, I've heard some rumblings that, you know, maybe there was some, some, uh, some potential things that he can change within his swing uh, going into next season. Uh, but I, I just don't know that I can say that this club is is where they were at least on paper a year ago. And uh, it just, it, to me, the offense, as it goes down, there's, it, it trails off a little bit more in the depth of this lineup than it did a year ago. No. And minus Dansby Swanson, nobody can sit here and tell you that the Braves as constructed on paper right now, you know, leading into Christmas of 2022 looks as good as it did in the heat of 2022 going throughout the pennant race. There's no two ways about that. You've got to figure out a way, I think, to A, make up for the defensive component, and B, not far behind, though, make up for the offense that you lost of a guy that threatens to hit 30 home runs. Yeah, there's some strikeouts in this game, but Dansby, I feel like, is a lot more pluses than minuses for the most part, even though he was a peaks and valleys hitter. And we saw that even in his career year here in 2022. Now, another name I would throw out there, is Brandon Drury, but every time I throw a name out there, it feels like, you know, just wait five minutes and somebody else might sign. So at the expense of perhaps dating ourselves by throwing out too many candidates in a podcast that, you know, may or may not last as long as fruit lasts on a stand at the grocery store, there are still some players out there, but if you're looking to address the shortstop issue, Brandon Drury ain't it. He started six games at shortstop in his big league career. He's more of a second base, third base, could play first base for you. You could stick him in the outfield. He's versatile, but that would be kind of a left field kind of answer. And I've just had some people throw it out there. Oh, Brandon Drury, he's versatile. Maybe throw him at shortstop. I don't know that you necessarily want to do it now at 30 or so years old. And, you know, Brandon Drury is a guy that just won a silver slugger. So I would imagine we talked about does this force Elvis Andrews into a multi-year deal after having a three-war season with the White Sox, still being a useful player. Drury should probably get some multiple-year offers as well, and that would conceivably put you over the luxury tax, which, again, I'm not saying the Braves won't go over, but they keep saying, you know, for the right player, for the right player, for the right player. I don't know that that's actually going to play out in actuality the way that they exactly want it to. But once you have gone over it, then maybe it's like, okay, now we're over and this player is available. And now the whole picture comes into focus and it makes a lot more sense. Because some of the smaller moves right now, especially in the aftermath of Dansby Swanson agreeing to sign with the Cubs, you're not going to get excited about the Jordan Luplo signing. But the timing of these things in that regard is not really the big thing to focus on. It's trying to figure out making the best roster and figuring out how to add depth to this club and give options because we've seen the Braves get tested and every club does by injuries and inconsistency. And in 2022, left field and DH were two of those spots that the Braves simply did not have enough warm bodies at times to even have the option to try something different. So whether or not they wait, whether or not that we find out down the road that the way that how this whole Swanson thing played out, if they 
anticipated that they were going to get him back. And now they're in a position where it's like, all right, well, there's nobody else out there unless we're going to bring in somebody short term or we've got to roll with what we have with Grissom and, and Arcia, you know, or they just knew they weren't going to be able to keep him. And they just had no anticipation of that right player being out there and they weren't willing to put the money into it. This is the situation they found themselves in where there's really nothing left on the market. I just think that they've put themselves in a position at this point where it's probably in-house unless just via trade. I just don't see somebody on the free agent market that's really going to make them demonstrably better at shortstop. Yeah. I just don't see it out there. I just don't see the I don't see the right player being out there to be the one to push them over the tax. No, and that's that I think is the big thing that people would look at is what option is out there. And if that option is out there and that's the player you'll spend on, was it not worth it, you know, going after Dansby Swanson a little bit more? But then you put it aside and look at the Cubs going so far and beyond what the Braves yeah. I think were comfortable offering that Maybe that's not even the right question. So a lot of questions still to come throughout the course of the offseason for us to answer. One of the things that, and I want to close in on this because you brought it up a couple times, and I think it's a really good point. When you do look at the Braves on paper and you do look at the bounce-back candidates that they have, we talk about Ronald Acuna Jr. for obvious reasons. We talk about Ozzie Albies for obvious reasons. One of the interesting things about the rules changes for Major League Baseball, though, in regards to the shift, as another player that you brought up in Matt Olson, he was one of the most penalized hitters by hitting into the shift. So perhaps Matt Olson finds himself a dozen, two dozen more hits just based on balls that he's hit hard in play and has himself a better season. That could be helpful. But then you have to think about the other 29 teams in baseball that will also benefit from the shift going away. So is that return kind of negated by the fact that everybody can benefit where they might have been penalized by the shift before. But it is something to think about if you're looking for guys that could bounce back or have a higher ceiling. And I think we already knew that Matt Olson could be in the totality of 162-game season better than he was in his first year with the Braves, though it was not a terrible year by any measure. No, he actually had 86 way to run create a plus against uh, the shift last year, which was his best since 2018. But yeah, obviously, you know, he's a guy that we've seen be a pretty extreme with a, with a pull and in yeah. a lot of ways, but um, he didn't hit a single home run against the shift last season either. Um, so yeah, I, I think he could stand to benefit from this whole thing, but yeah, I think, I don't know that you, that you necessarily look to put together a roster and say, okay, we hope this happens. We hope this happens. We hope this happens. We hope this happens. And unfortunately, and I'm not, look, I'm not saying that this, that when you, that we, when we sit down and start predicting how we think the 2023 season is going to go, that we're all of a sudden going to pick somebody else to win this division. I just think that there's going to be a lot of people who are going to look back at the way that this off season went and it's going to feel deflating. Yeah. And, I, and I think putting a lot of stock into bounce backs in a lot of ways feels deflating. Sure. And I think that one of the reasons that it does is that while everyone else is going out there and signing players and finding players to make them better, and with all due respect to trading for Sean Murphy, who is a great catcher and should make the Braves better, that wasn't necessarily the area where the Braves needed the most clarity and the most help in making that position better, whether it was left field or shortstop, and particularly shortstop now because you don't have Dansby Swanson on your payroll and you know, what exactly do you do there at this point in the offseason when a lot of the other options weren't really options for you because they made a whole lot more than Dansby Swanson did over the course of the offseason? It's just going to be fascinating to see how the Braves do answer these questions. But I can completely understand the fact that, you know, you look at this offseason and you see the Mets go out and they threw a lot of money at keeping a couple of key players in Edwin Diaz and Brandon Nimmo. 
They go out, they sign Justin Verlander, they make a slew of other signings. Steve Cohen has already said, hey, this big money doesn't scare me. I'm going to keep doing this thing. And obviously with the Mets payroll and, and their tax obligation, it's not something that they're worried about. The Phillies, meanwhile, they go out, they make themselves a little bit better. You know that the Mets are capable of going out and rattling off 100 wins because they did it a year ago. And I would say that their club that they're bringing out in 2023 is at least as good as a club that they had in 2022. I don't know that that's even really arguable. Can they replicate that? Can they continue to do what they did a year ago, not having the Nationals and the Marlins perhaps to beat up on with the more balanced schedule? That's kind of a question I guess everybody could ask. But just in a vacuum, looking at what the Braves have brought on versus what they've lost and what the Mets and the Phillies have brought on and lost, if you're a Braves fan, you have to be kind of wondering, like, all right, well, who are we getting? Like, who's going to come in here and be that piece that maybe puts us over the top or that gives us that, you know, that confidence, kind of puts the wind back in the sails a little bit, even though, as you and I have both talked about, and you look at the Braves, they're a pretty well-constructed roster. It wasn't like you went out and thought, okay, well, they don't have this, and they don't have this, and they don't have this, and these five guys just left in free agency, and now they're going to drop down to a 75-win team. That's really not the case, but it also doesn't take away from the fact that trying to address and trying to add and trying to get better in a division that's pretty ultra competitive and has two other clubs at least that are trying to do just that is something that fans are going to be hyper-focused on and for good reason. Okay, so a couple of things, though. You have to remember with the Phillies that Bryce Harper is going to be out until sure. what is it? I mean, he's out until May, right? Isn't it? I mean, with obviously, the UCL you know, surgery, yeah. Yeah, so you get Trey Turner, and that's a major upgrade. But they still are going to be down. You know, a, a guy who's got you know MVPs on his on his resume. And one thing with the Mets, think about the ages of those guys that they're relying upon. Verlander's yep. going to his age forty season. Scherzer's going to be thirty eight. Carlos Carrasco's thirty six. Jose yep. Quintana's turning thirty four. Only six pitching staffs in history have had more than a hundred combined starts from pitchers thirty four or older. So. Are they going to be able to rely upon these guys when it gets down into October and then you start thinking about those uh, that postseason run? Like, I think there's uh, at least the Braves can say there are question marks with those other teams, even though they were ultra aggressive. That Braves roster, yes, it was it was it's been well constructed. They've got that core that's locked up for years and years. But you know, an opening day payroll of 325 million, the highest in MLB history for the Mets. And there are still a lot of questions whether what that team's going to be capable of doing going into the season. Yeah, I still just feel like they are in the realm where they were a year ago. You can't look at the Mets and say, well, they took a big step back. Now, there are question marks, and every club's going to have those question marks. And to kind of to go back to what you were talking about with the Braves, and you hate to go into a season thinking, well, we hope this guy does this, and we hope this guy does this yeah. and this. I feel a lot better when we're talking about players like Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies who are in their mid-20s bouncing back then hey we hope that this 33 year old guy that had reconstructive <laughs> knee surgery or broke his foot last year comes back and is as good as he was when we think about him at age 28 at least you're not looking at that way you're not looking at it so far into the past that you're just hoping to find lightning in a bottle you know that's not the kind of player that we're talking about here with Acuna and Albies in particular and the fact that they are kind of the focal point of the bounce back candidates for the Braves yeah, you got to figure out some stuff in left field. And yes, you got to address shortstop and make a decision and perhaps continue to look at the market and figure out how to answer that question before you get to opening day. But the two biggest bounce backs that the Braves could have are two of the best players on the Braves roster, and they're the perfect age to bounce back and do the things we're accustomed to seeing. So that, I feel like at least, if you are asking your questions and trying to find the answers and trying to look at the totality of where your hopes are really, uh, where they really lay and where you're investing all of that hope, Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies are a couple of good places to invest it, in my opinion. 
Yeah, and not only them. I mean, Ian Anderson, Mike Soroka, and then yeah. you've got some pieces there that if those guys are what you know you've seen the the heights of them being, there's you know we're looking back at this off season in a completely different way, and you're not looking at it in terms of it being complacency or deflating, whatever terminology you ended up using. I mean, I think that's why we you know we don't grade this stuff in the winter, knowing what's going to happen into the season. So I'll be surprised though, if there's not some more changes made along the way. And, we, and this is the roster that we're going into the season with uh, in terms of seeing the Braves, uh, you know, how, who's going to be on the field to, to start this thing. I'm not hundred percent sold yet on Grissom being the starting shortstop. We'll see how this thing plays out, but certainly, you know, if, I don't know. There's a team that has more potential inflation in what they could be in 23 and with bounce back candidates in the Braves. No, I don't think so. And look, we don't have all the answers to these questions yet. The winter's not over. The only thing we do know is that we're going to continue to watch it. We're going to continue to ask the questions and hopefully we're going to be seeing the answers to how the Braves address some of these needs. We're going to talk about it all right here on From the Diamond. Corey, as always, after our nice little uh, hiatus there, it was good to get back and talk about what's been a busy time for the Braves, but kind of a bittersweet episode with Dansby Swanson's impending departure to the Chicago Cubs and you know, just kind of trying to figure out where the Braves go from here. Adding a great catcher, that has to make you feel pretty good. Why you're adding a catcher, I think some people are still wondering that, but it should make the Braves mm-hmm. a little bit better at that position going forward, and that is part of the long-term plan beyond just 2023. But, man, we covered a lot of stuff on today's episode. Appreciate it as always. Yeah, thanks, man. I feel like we're still ain't asking the same questions without any answers, but yeah, <laughs> we're just going to keep moving along with them. As the old saying goes, just when you think you have all the answers, I change the questions, and we are just beholden to our own inner Rowdy Roddy Piper when it comes to this. That's but right. we'll do it again next week. Corey, I appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks. Well, that'll wrap things up for this edition of From the Diamond. As always, my thanks to Corey McCartney for carving out this time to talk Braves and baseball with me and to allow us to do so for you. Make sure you subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you're following along on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Grant McCauley. You can like the show on Facebook as well. Just search for From the Diamond. And make sure you're following along with everything Corey's doing over at Battery Power. We, of course, have Battery Power TV. Go ahead, hit that subscribe button on YouTube and follow Corey on Twitter at Corey J. McCartney. Well, that'll bring us to the end of this edition of From the Diamond. As always, my thanks to you for making us part of your baseball podcast regimen, and we look forward to chatting with you next time. Until then, for Corey McCartney, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone. <laughs>